Hello, everyone, in episode 155 of the Y'all Can Hear podcast. I'll be your host today, Patrick. And joining me today are my two quarantine co-hosts. It's Jonathan. And Cannon has returned for his eighth episode on the AYCH podcast. I don't know how letters work. I apologize. Your eighth time on the show. You are now the new most prolific guest in AYCH history. Boo! Justin, where you at, bro? Defend your belt, cuz. No, I'm kidding. We can't defend belts because we've been on lockdown for what seems like 12 years. And it seems like it's going to be 12 more. <laughs> and that's kind of the the theme of today's episode is that we're all locked up tight. We're kind of just doing, you know, either going to just only go to work at grocery stores or maybe not even leaving your house. You know, we're still trying to get by and, and uh, trying to occupy ourselves the best way, you can, way we can. So that's what we were talking about today. Like, what have we been doing in isolation, in quarantine, just talking about some of the stuff we've been watching, playing, and just sort of doing to sort of pass the time and keep, you know, existential dread from from, uh, entering the forefront of our minds. Things, stuff, fucking excitement. (laughs) And uh, staring at four walls. So uh, some of the stuff I've been watching uh, lately, I'm, I'm, I'm getting back into t- the TV shows now, and one of my big things I, I got back into is uh, Narcos Mexico, because I started Narcos ooh, last year. I actually started with the, the Mexico season first, and then went back, which is season four, and went and went back and watched the first two seasons, and then now I'm going back to watch season five, and it's really good. Wow, so there's five seasons of Narcos right now? Yeah. Yeah. I, I started that show. I've only seen the first season. I thought it was great. I don't know. I guess life happened, and I just didn't continue on with season two. It's one of those shows that I want to get back to. Even before the quarantine, I've been so far behind. Like I still haven't seen a big chunk of the shows I want to see. I haven't seen the last season of Punisher, Daredevil. I'm behind on Orange is the New Black, Glow. I'm just a mess. Which should, This is the best time to do it, and yet I still haven't watched them. So it's, it's on me at this it, point. It's one of those things where I feel like we're just paralyzed by choice because there's so much yes. to do. And, and I don't know if about y'all, but usually when I get in moods like this, I'm like, I'll just like kind of panic and then just not do anything. I Yes, I'm guilty of that. And just kind of like fucking on my phone or spending five goddamn hours on TikTok. I will say because like, Ken, you're, you're sort of new to the TikTok in the group and you sort of took to that like a duck to water. Yeah, uh, I was uh, highly against TikTok because I thought I wasn't aware that it's basically become a new vine. All the ads that I saw for it back in the day were just lip syncing duets and shit like that. Well, that's what it was, and then it radically changed. And as Patrick says, I have taken to it like a duck to water. I have found myself sitting on the couch just scrolling, and then a whole hour passes, and I'm like, oh my God, what have I been doing? (laughs) TikTok is just huge time suck for me. Like, it's especially bad because I don't get on periodically. And then I have like 200 messages on TikTok and about a hundred of them are always from Jonathan. <laughs> hey, I've, I've been slowing down. I'm in, I'm in rehab for my TikTok sending. So. Because Jonathan was much like Cannon, just kind of like uh, apprehensive. Like, I don't know, is this for me? And then the second he gets on, it's just like his favorite thing in the world. Oh, because Jonathan was the one who pretty much convinced me on it. He's like, dude, have you downloaded TikTok? I was like, <laughs> no, I have not. And I'm not going to. And here we are now. Famous last words. At that Canon guy on TikTok. Haven't recorded one yet. I've been thinking about it. 
but I haven't just yet. I planned on doing one for Austin 316 Day, March 16th, for all of you who don't know. Uh, you know, just the standard. I was going to wear my Austin 316 shirt, take a couple of beers, and I was going to ask you if you take a stunner for me, but <laughs> I, it just didn't happen. <laughs> You know, I actually, uh, going back to that, I actually thought about maybe posting that center I gave you a couple of St. Patrick's Days ago. Oh, hell yeah. Was that when you uh, broke your vape in your pocket? No, no. That, that was back at our old place, and that was for a, a takeover. Yeah. yeah. Because back because we used to get together and watch NXT TakeOver and have like a big blowout party and just drink it far too much. And then that night, I hit Cannon with the stunner. And then he busted his vape. In oh, his... I hit a stunner on somebody because right. it was in my back pocket, and I forgot that it was in my back pocket. I must have been highly inebriated because, you know, I'm you're landing on your ass, and I still had that giant box mod, so I can't believe I didn't feel it. And then I go outside to vape, and I put my hand in my back pocket, and something kind of scratches my hand. I'm like, ow, what the hell was that? And I pull it out, and I literally try to hit my vape somehow – it's still intact, but the whole tank is shattered, and it's just, like, covered in my vape juice. And I'm Well, granted, you have been drinking a lot of Jaeger that night. Oh, yes. Oh, man. But, no, the, the, one, the, one, the time I hit Cannon with a stunner, that was uh, St. Patrick's Day maybe two years ago? At the pub, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's at our usual pub spot. And uh, I, 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 I super kicked him in the, in the stomach, <laughs> and I stunned him, and this, like, God, that, that was the thing. That was the first year I wore my kilt to uh, St. Patrick's Day at two. Was, I think it was like one of the bartenders or somebody walked by. He was like, get off the fucking floor or something like that. <laughs> it's like, you're welcome for us to lively enough to mood. I'm so glad Bob doesn't work there anymore. This is a very local thing. Yeah. Complain about the management of our local bars. <laughs> he was a fucking shithead, and I'm glad he's gone. <laughs> yeah. All right. So what have y'all been watching? Because I, I talked about Narcos Mexico and it's like, because I've been kind of watching that off and on because it's really good, but it's like really dense and it's really heavy subject matter. You know, people being killed by the cartel and just like a lot of gore and violence. So like I need to kind of watch that in burst. So because it's just kind of like it's kind of it kind of weighs on it just like how awful drugs are and, and, the, <laughs> and the distribution of drugs can be. So I need to like balance that with something. So what are some of the things y'all have been watching? After watching Tiger King, I kind of got on a true crime documentary kick and finally watched at least the first season of Making a Murderer. Mm. Goddamn. Like that one guy in Tiger King said, I'm a libertarian, so fuck the feds. Yeah. It, 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 that is just a, by the way, I'm not a libertarian, but like, yeah, it, it, it will make you lose faith in the justice system. And granted, you can tell, like, like with Tiger King, the documentarians definitely have a slant and a bias, but at the same time, you really feel bad for Stephen Avery just for the amount of shit he went through. And more so, the, the kid they convicted yes. with yeah. him. Like, that, like, as someone who has a special needs brother, that really fucking pissed me off because the cops bullied him into a confession. Yeah, that was really fucked up. And, and I mean, and honestly, like it's all, like a hundred percent legal for cops to do that. It's just funny you bring that up because um, I know at the time that was the Tiger King of its time. That was the first Netflix original show that I remember like blowing up mm -hmm. uh, just across the board of people talking about it. Because a buddy of mine named Slade mentioned it to me. Man, have you seen Making a Murderer yet? I was like, no, not quite yet. And uh, I watched it and. Yeah, that was that big boom. Comes like to the true crime thing. Uh, there's one I think docu series I've been meaning to talk about. Well, meaning to watch, I should say, is um, Evil Genius. I think is what it's called. 
That sounds right. Yeah. Apparently, apparently it's about this guy who these people strap a bomb to him, like almost like jigsaw style with like an explosive collar and just make him like rob a bank or like, yeah, I haven't watched it yet, but I've been meaning to. But I like you. I've been getting on a true true crime kick here lately. I don't know how to talk today. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that even goes for like fictional shows as well, because we'll get to another season of this show, but I've been... uh. I finally started watching the third season of True Detective mm. that came out last year. And, oh boy, it! I got three episodes left. It, God damn, it, it, it's good. It's A lot of people say it's very similar to season one, and there are definitely some similar beats it hits, but it definitely deals thing has, like, the characters are very different and deals with very different issues, like, the one of the things, and this isn't really a spoiler. You kind of learned this in the first episode. Uh, Wade uh, Mahershala Ali's character uh, in the the 2015 timeline is suffering from like Alzheimer's or dementia or something like that. Oh wow! So like there there's like this weird like playing with time and stuff, and it, it's not so much that he's an unreliable narrator, but it jumps between. Uh, I want to say 1980, 1990, and 2015, and uh, especially in the 2015 timeline, he's like seeing shit, and and it's just apparently this case just fucked him up so bad. But uh, his partner is played by Stephen Dwarf, old uh, Blade from old Blade. So because we were talking about the other day, just like the weird like like Blade angle that's in that third season, because Mahershala Ali is cast as the new Blade in the um, MCU movies, and you have a character, an actor from the OG Blade, you know, basically the start comic book movies as we know them today was with Blade back in what, 2000, 1999? It was, it was 97, I think. Yeah, it was like 97 or 98. And like, I, I, I'm surprised we have not seen Steven Dwarf in more shit. Like, he is a f- fucking phenomenal actor. The last thing I saw that man in was an advertisement for Blue E Cigs. <laughs> Yeah, you like, like and I was like, I was like, I know this guy from somewhere. Like, I know him from Blade, but he has to be in other things. And like, I was looking on his IMDb, and his the movies he were was in was not a lot. I was like, wow, you must have made some really bad act like choices because it was like a lot of like made for TV movie shit. Yeah, like straight to DVD stuff like that. Yeah, or like he was in a Ce- Cecil B. Demented, which was a John Waters movie, huh. <laughs> which we'll get to probably. Yeah, they, they, we might have a special conversation for that. <laughs> uh, on the back on the subject of um, how do you say his first name again? Ali. Um, Mahershala. Mahershala Ali. Uh, I've never been more excited. I never popped so hard for somebody throwing on a cap in my life because, like, when at that Marvel conference, when Feige, I think his name is, who was Kevin like, Feige, he's like, "Hey, man, uh, uh, I think you have a hat to show everybody," and he throws on a hat and it has the new Blade logo on it. I fucking lost my mind. It was God, great. God, and I know I was talking about Stephen Dwarf, but Mahershala Lee, like, ugh, he's probably like the best actor of this generation. Just especially with this season of True Detective, there's just a lot of really subtle things he just does with his face that I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ, dude. You, He, he makes it seem effortless, but it's just these little tiny, minute things that it's like, fuck, this is so good. The level of muscle control on that man's face puts everybody else to shame. 
Yeah, and, and it's so weird because like the character depending it depends on what version of the character he's playing, but especially the nineteen eighties and nineties timeline, he's I wouldn't say stoic, but he's definitely more emotionally closed off. But even with just kind of being more like stoic and brooding, you, you really see the him holding back all those emotions on his face. And then uh, one thing I was kind of worried with this season was sort of how it dealt with race, uh, especially with most of it being set in like the 80s and 90s. And, you know, the showrunner, Nick Pizzolatto, is a white guy, and that usually doesn't work out. But, as I mean, and granted, I'm not the authority to speak on that, but I think they, they've done a really good job. Do you think uh, the main comparison of season three to season one is solely because of the time jumps maybe? Uh, it's definitely the chime jumps, the, there's the dynamic between the, the two detectives. Uh, it, it's not the same there. It's more buddy cop than say the first season. Cause you know, the first season they were very antagonistic through basically the entire season. And there's definitely some friction between, um, Herschel Ali's character and Steven Dwarf's character, especially a lot of the racial stuff. But like at the end of the day, they're they're like they're ride or die for each other, and it's it's a really awesome bromance to see. I've only seen uh, I've, obviously since season one. I watched season two. Granted, it's 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 not the same as season one. I don't really shit on it as hard as a lot of other people do. It's not a bad show, in my opinion. It's just not as good as season one. Like the things that I enjoyed about it were uh, Vince Vaughn in a dramatic role again because we haven't seen that in a very long time a very long time and uh i've always been a big colin farrell fan i thought he did a really good job in his role in the show um he's a really underrated actor he is he really is he was my pick um before uh oh well never mind i'll wait and talk about this i I just realized i had a show to talk about (laughs) on mine because i was i was worried i was like i really have been watching a lot of tv shows here but now I got one. Colin Farrell, for the longest time, was my pick to play Cassidy in whatever adaptation of Preacher they were going to do, whether it be movie or TV show, because that comic property was in limbo for like well over a decade. Oh, it's going to be a movie. Ah, we're going to make it a show. Ah, we're not going to do either. And then, it, and then it finally happened. Yeah, I, I think with uh, season two, True Detective, uh, it was there. There was definitely a quicker turnaround because. Nick Pizzolatto spent years crafting the first season. Right. And then it's like the next year we got to get that season out. And, and, and like, and from what I've heard, people said, it's not bad. It's just not on the quality of season one, which I think is kind of unfair because the first season is so good that like, I mean, like season three is excellent, but even it doesn't to me. I, I, I and I guess it's because the first season exists. It just nudges up there, but it doesn't come close to the, the yeah. first season. Plus, I'm a huge mark for Woody Harrelson, so <laughs> you put him in anything, and I'm just about there. Yeah, because that's something for me. Because like, because they because they've been watching season one with me the last couple of weeks, kind of off and on, and this is this is my first time with the series, and I, I didn't know anything about it going in other than just like its claim. And we left off in episode five, so there have been like some pretty significant things that have transpired by this point. But it's funny to see like watching like Loki watching Jonathan and Cannon watch me watch the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because Pat is a very like 
responsive watcher to stuff. So, like, there there will be big parts coming up, and I'll just be, like, kind of out of the corner of my eye checking his reaction. Especially, like, that, that fucking, I think it's the end of episode four, the single take. Yeah. And I'm just like, fuck. Because I had... Uh, I, I had the idea of just kind of pop in, pop out, because I love the first season of True Detective, but as, as soon as Jonathan hit play, m- my ass was on that couch for the rest of the ride. I was like, damn it, I'm watching it again. It's so good. <laughs> because like, just, just just from the start of the show, just like the intro is like very, it's like the, the music in the, the, music, the opening song is like, it's very, ca- very uh, catchy and just... The, the the cinematic of the opening sequence of like the the overlays of the characters and like I guess events and sort of sequences that that's that's just a great thing and that and the the, the closing shot of the intro of just like the fire and the cross and the uh, the crosshair that's and the embers that's just a great shot and just seeing the characters like Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey go through their journey of and just like and and, and the it's it's just really like enthralling and it's like harrowing. And and seeming at different points in their life because like the third like to say in the third 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 season there are uh, multiple timelines that the show jumps between. I think I feel it's well established at this point that Matthew McConaughey has like serious chops as an actor and just sort of seeing his like emotional and physical transformation across the show is very shocking and and very engaging. Although I will say, as much as I enjoy watching these characters, goddamn, does Matthew McConaughey's character get on my nerves at times? <laughs> because yeah. maybe spoiler, uh, Matthew McConaughey's character is like he's he's exorbitantly smart, he's extremely intelligent, and like very capable of picking up the nuances of whatever crime scene. But he's also very like nihilistic and solipsistic. So, but it's, there's different there's different moments where he'll go into like this spiel of just like, oh, life is meaningless. There's no God, and blah 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 blah. And I'm just kind of like, shut the fuck up, God damn it! Because there's so many moments. Where, there's one in particular. I think they're at like at, at like a a tent revival. <laughs> yes. He he goes on a there's some really, he makes some really good poignant you know observations about the world and organized religion. There's like you know those those are good points. But at the same time, I want to jump out of a goddamn window because well, it's just so overbearing at times. Well, I will. You are right on all accounts, but I will. In in defense of that character, he did lose his daughter. And, well, then and and then like, I don't want to get too much into spoilers. Oh fuck, that is a spoiler. Sorry, I put, I put a spoiler uh, on the. Uh, on the episode title. Okay. Yeah, well, well, and then, you know, he he's undercover and narcotics, and that really fucks yeah. him up. And, and it's like, you under like you understand, but, I, like, I'm sort of, pat, like, the first time I watched it, I was kind of, not to the extent, because I, you know, I haven't, like, lost a daughter, or seen, like, that level of the abyss, but, like, you know, when you, like, lose your religion and a lot, or, and kind of, you kind of get into that mindset of, like, fuck everything, man. The world's just a fucking cesspit. And and, and I remember that really speaking to me. And, and granted, the, where the show goes, I think, really kind of helped me get out of that. But, like, I'm, I'm with you a lot of times. I'm like, God damn, he's such a fucking edgelord. Do you think that comes in a way of him becoming a really good detective? Mm-hmm. Do you think that correlates in any way of, on how he feels about the world, makes him, I guess, in his mind, see it a little better? That's He's able to, like, close cases and whatnot? Yeah, because uh, – and, and 
the show definitely implies that because he is you no know, because he thinks so differently from the rest of everyone else because just like and, and I think the show would not work as much if if they you didn't have Woody Harrelson oh yeah where he's yeah. just like man I need you to shut <laughs> the fuck up it's like man you wanted me to talk I'm talking yeah and now I'm begging you, you to, to shut, shut the, the fuck, fuck up. up. What did I say? The car is now a place of silent reflection. Because <laughs> they have a really great like back and forth. Like they, there are times they really do work well together as sort of a balance. But there, at the same time, there's a very like entertaining animosity between the two. How Woody is—he's he's obviously good at his job, but he's, he's definitely not at the same level of. I guess, like, higher thinking as Matthew McConaughey. So he, he's definitely much more grounded and approachable and sort of, like, how he interacts with people and just sort of, like, general living the life. But, but at the same time, like, it's just... I guess he's he sort of represents the viewer in, in a sense of, like, how sort of oppressive, like, a deeply intelligent and deeply attached person may come across. And I do, like... I, as much as that works for his, like, investigative skills... As a detective, it's also extremely overbearing. And there's this a great bit where Matthew Honecker character says, shut the fuck up, Nietzsche, to a character. And I'm like, not <laughs> calling the kettle black here, motherfucker. Look in the mirror sometime. Oh, yeah, where the time's a flat circle. Shut the fuck up, Nietzsche. <laughs> but, but yeah, to answer your question, I think that does lead to him being, I guess, a better detective. And I think one detail that, like in the first scene, that really helps differentiate him from everybody else is everybody else has like a note, like a little small like notepad to take notes on. And he has this like fuck all sketchbook and he's like drawing, you know, these (laughs) elaborate depictions of whatever the crime scene is. I've legit been looking for a decent ledger for, for like years now because I I love yellow legal pads for some reason. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I just love them. I'll like I'll if I see like a pack of five at a store or something I'll be like well fuck it I'm buying it because you never know I <clears throat> I use them you know keep notes and keep up to date on my comics and shit like that but well on the show end I finally got to finish Preacher its final yep. season season okay four. how that how that go for you oh I I'm pissed <laughs> <laughs> Are you mad oh, no. I'm so mad I I, I, I was there when. <laughs> him and Liz were watching it and he just comes out of the room and he's like, fuck this show. Like, I, like I said earlier, uh, preacher is my favorite comic book of all time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I've read it so many times and I, I'm planning on reading it again here soon. Cause Liz, thank you again. Got me the greatest gift ever. Like the complete Holy shit edition of preacher and these beautiful hardback books. But, um, for the, for those who don't know, um, I'll try to keep it as spoiler free as possible, but the book and the show is about this preacher named Jesse Custer who finds himself basically, for lack of a better phrase, uh, the word of God. This power source called Genesis like escapes heaven and comes down and just um, gets inside his body. And if he wants to, if he wills it, he can tell somebody to do something and they have to do it. There's no stopping them. Like the whenever I describe the book to somebody, um, spoilers for the book, of course, uh, there's a part where there's this really asshole preacher, not not preacher, real asshole sheriff, and uh, Jesse, the preacher, has had enough of his bullshit. So I think this is before he realizes the kind of power he has because he tells the pre- I keep saying preacher, he keeps he tells the sheriff to go fuck himself, and he cuts off his own dick and shoves it up his asshole. Oh, fun! Yeah, and. Uh, <laughs> 
and he also has his um, on again, off again uh, girlfriend uh, tulip along for the ride. And they eventually meet this, um, uh, I guess, well over a hundred year old Irish vampire named Cassidy, who Cassidy is my favorite character in the show version, at least. Uh, I forgot, I forgot his name, but uh, he was he was in Misfits. He was Misfits was the only show that I'd seen him in. God, I'm sorry, I forgot his name. But um, finally finished that show. Now, I've been watching the show for four years now. Uh, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, best friends. Uh, they've done a lot of movies together, and they're huge fans of the book. They finally got the show made, and AMC picked it up. And when I saw that first trailer, not fuck, not even the first trailer, that first like just title screen of Preacher with the with the church upside down, and I was like, oh my god, it's finally fucking happening. And I knew that they were going to take liberties with the show. Like, there are parts in the show, they've, they've either switched around from the book or, like, different parts take place at different times. And, like, without spoiling anything, I'll just say, like, it really comes off like, okay, this is going to be the final season, guys. So, you're going to have to just make it work. And it seems like they took so many ideas, crumbled it into a ball, and was just like, here you go, we're done. And again, I knew they were going to change things and take liberties, but that that fucking the the end is just unbearable. Oh. Like it, it's I call it the "How I Met Your Mother" syndrome because I oh. watched all of "How I Met Your Mother," loved the show, and then you get to that last season and something's just weird. Something is off, and then. At the end, I mean, fuck it, the show's been a thing for years, when, oh God, the mother actually dies, and, oh, he ends up with Robin anyway. That was just dumb to me. That was just fucking stupid. And that season ruined the rest of the show for me, so even if, like, reruns of the older seasons are on TV, I won't watch it. And I feel like this season of Preacher has done that for me. As much as I love Preacher, I don't know if I can do it again. My heart has been shattered into a million pieces. Yeah, that, that's that was how I felt with the end of Game of Thrones. Like the, uh, those fi- those final two seasons were just God. I'm, I'm not getting off on that tangent right now, but <laughs> David Benioff and DB Wise are like some of the most creatively bankrupt dudes in Hollywood right now, and that's why they didn't deserve Star Wars, and they'll never get it now. Yeah, I don't know. They probably would have done a better job than the last one we saw. This is coming from somebody who's not really a big fan of Game of Thrones, but (laughs) I think. Well, yeah, like yeah, Rise Skywalker was bad. Pissed, (laughs) pissed. Months later, we're still mad. We're talking about it again. How much we're still mad? Man, that's nothing. I'm still mad about Justice League. Justice League just lights a fire under my crack, man. I'm just just (laughs) fucking ready to fight. God, I I saw Batman v Superman. I'm like. "Mm." I think I want to skip out on these DC movies. I know with Batman and Superman, like, it wasn't great, but there's still, like, for me, there's some stuff, like, some nuggets in there that I kind of like. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree, too. It I, was just, that there were some, there's some fucking goofy-ass shit they were trying to pass off as, like, poignant, like yeah. the, Save Martha! Why did you say that name? Like, that, that movie, uh, I will say, Batman v Superman gets a pass from me. I'm not saying it's a great movie by any means. <laughs> yeah. And I will say the whole Martha thing, I completely spaced out on the fact that uh, Clark Kent and Bruce Wayne's mom had the same name. No, me too. Like I forgot about that. It's like, it's, <laughs> it, 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 that is a neat connection. It's just maybe the way to use it might not have been as profound as they meant it to be. I feel yeah. like the thing that ruined that, just my opinion, was um, Ben Affleck's reaction. 
like you said, why did you say that name? Why did you say? And then like they just, huh, they're friends now. Yeah, yeah. Like if they would have went a different direction with that, it probably would have worked a little better. Yeah, and, and I think they, you know, it's Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. If they went with either Batman v Superman or the Dawn of Justice, I think it would have been a much better movie. Yeah. Not try to cram like five major DC stories into one movie. I mean, that's all on DC and Warner Brothers because they've literally been trying to play catch up and with Marvel, and there's no doing that at this point. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to start a cinematic universe, you got to do what Marvel did, and they put years into getting to the Avengers. It is sort of funny. I know between the DC movie-verse and DC TV-verse, they definitely have their like pros and cons and sort of like their own feelings, but like the DC TV-verse definitely did a much better job of like establishing their smaller pieces before getting to like their big, you know, crossover oh, yeah. piece. Yeah. So what, however you feel about that is, is obviously what was more successful. Which is weird because like I didn't watch all of it. I actually started watching um the um Crisis on Infinite Earths Event. mega crossover that they did. Uh, I didn't watch it all, but ma- mainly because I kept getting fucking spoilers in my news feed about it. So, um, but they, they had little cool things in there, but goddamn, they had some deep fucking cuts like they brought back what's her name? It's the the daughter of Batman and Catwoman from the birth from, from the Birds, Birds of, of Prey, Prey show. show. But they literally bring her back for an opening scene where, like you know, throughout this uh, miniseries, well, this event, um, all these universes are getting destroyed. And then when they cut to it's the very opening scene, they get there and she's running from something and she's talking to um oracle like oracle this the thing is happening and then all of a sudden it's just like thanos snap and she's gone and that's the last you see like they they found some fucking like they, the little things they added like they had uh the they had burt ward the robin from the 66 tv show in uh earth 66 i might add i thought that was pretty funny they got um i don't remember his name but um vicky vale's uh reporter a partner from the first Tim Burton Batman movie, he was in it. Oh, wow. And, of course, you know, Brandon Routh in a Superman suit again, which, you know, Superman Returns didn't suck because of him. It wasn't his fault. That movie just sucked, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I don't care for that movie either, but I don't have anything hard against Brandon mm-hmm. Routh. But seeing him in the Kingdom Come Superman outfit was pretty fucking rad. I'm not going to lie. They, they even had, um, what's his name from the Smallville TV show, Superman. That's right. And some flannel and blue jeans. <laughs> and apparently he doesn't have powers anymore. So I didn't watch all of Smallville. I don't know what the story is with that, but, you know. I think the only episode I saw of Smallville was when um, Doomsday showed up. Like, I had never seen an episode of Small- Smallville. I just happened to catch it one night. And that one episode was enough to piss me off not to watch anymore. Because you have Doomsday show up. Which, this, this is supposed to be Superman when he was a young man, so, like, prequel, but, like, at this point, they ran so long, they did, had to kind of get into, like, the deeper stuff. So. Yeah, because it ran for, like, ten fucking seasons. He had Smallville, you know, uh, Superman. He's fighting Doomsday, who is Sam Witwer, by the way. Uh, Starkiller, Darth Maul. He, he's, like, fighting him, and then so he kills Jimmy Olsen. But then turns out the Jimmy Olsen we, we knew the whole time was twin brother of the real Jimmy Olsen or some bullshit. Because they, they're played by the, I can't remember his name right now, the guy who played Iceman in the X-Men movies. Because they're twin brothers. Yeah. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. I can't remember. They He kills him with like a... God, like he a, was Jimmy Olsen. I forgot about that. And then uh, he dies and then, then, then like... Swerve, Twin Brothers back, also the same name. I don't know. I, I only saw one episode. So apparently he beats Doomsday by just kind of 
tackling him into like a factory and exploding it and that's the whole fight and Doomsday's just trapped under like miles of concrete forever now. Yeah, I I, I started watching Smallville like as it was airing way back in the day. Mm-hmm. And then I fell off and, and I didn't really start I didn't really start watching it then either, but my roommate had in college had damn near all of the seasons on DVD. Oh, wow. And I would just, you know, occasionally pay attention to what I was like, wow, this show actually got a little bit more tolerable. Because, you know, those first three seasons, it's it's basically, you know, like the, the villain of the week. Which, strangely enough, two of the three uh, sons from Home Improvement played villains in there. Like, if they could have just signed Jonathan Taylor Thomas on at one point, they could have had the trifecta. <laughs> <laughs> I think another TV show, I think all of us have been keeping up with a little bit, Dark Side of the Ring on Vice. Oh, yeah. Um, y'all more so than me, but I've been sort of like keeping abreast of it. Yeah, I'll, I want to take this uh, moment to say how proud I am of Jonathan and getting into wrestling. <laughs> he, we got our little wrestle baby over here. Yeah. and Because uh, <laughs> like the last few months, because we've been watching a lot of AEW, and he's sort of been uh, on this journey of learning more into wrestling and getting more into it. And it's been it's really fun to, to, to watch someone get into something that we're all very passionate about and him having a genuine interest and following for it. And that's been a lot of, that's been really cool. And that's another show like AEW. Technically, you're still on the ground floor because this has only been a company since like October. Y- yeah, like, and, and that was sort of, the thing because like you know it's kind of similar to comics in, in the sense of it's like at least before AEW it's like well where the fuck do you start type yeah. of thing but like having a good starting point and it's actually really fucking good it, it was just like okay and it's easy to just jump into but yeah um <clears throat> dark side of the ring is a, a documentary series on vice telling uh some backstage and real life details about significant characters, people and stories that have happened in wrestling. Uh, I've never, I didn't get to watch season one, but uh, season two just started uh, a few weeks ago and they kicked it off with the Chris Benoit murder suicide. And well, man, that was, that was tough considering, you know, I was, I was a huge Chris Benoit fan growing up. And, and then one day on the news, he's just like all of a sudden dead. And then the next day, we find out, oh, also his uh, wife and kid are dead. The next day, also, Chris Benoit murdered his wife and son, <laughs> and then himself. And like, what the fuck? Yeah, just the 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 level of progression, like how it, it was kind of slow for that story to come out. And then, you know, WWE, they do that fuck all, like, memorial to yeah. him. And then, like, the next day, it's like, oh, yeah, he, he's a murderer. Because yeah. I watched that shit live. Like I watched the memorial show, and then and then the next day, you know, the the shitty ECW that WWE fucking shoved down our gullet. Uh, Vince McMahon, who, for, oh, okay, I forgot about this. Um, Vince McMahon um, showed up on Monday Night Raw to say to to give the speech about the Benoit Memorial episode while in storyline on WWE television. Vince McMahon's supposed to be dead. Because, so <laughs> because literally the night before he part of his story he he uh, he has like this he's like in this weird like kind of fixed like fugue state he walks from his office throughout the studio passing by wrestlers and like hey what's going on what's wrong with you boss and he just kind of ignores them all gets into a limousine that's waiting for him gets into the car and then it immediately explodes 
just fucking blows oh. up. <laughs> and then it's like, not really dead guys. <laughs> and then it was like a week or two later, the Benoit thing happened. I mean, you know, you know, wrestling, we knew he wasn't fucking dead. We're oh, just like, yeah. okay, where's this going? Because even I was like, okay, his limo just blew up. That's kind of a, a real uh, dramatic way to write yourself off TV for a little while because we, we know you're going to come back at some point. You're like, ha <laughs> But um, my, my Jimmy's really got rustled during the uh, New Jack episode, which oh, yeah. I fucking can't stand New Jack. I made I have a video about New Jack on my YouTube channel, which I haven't made a video in like goddamn four years, but I basically like told about all the matches that they discussed on the documentary. So Vice fucking pay me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> this was all like public knowledge already, but goddamn New Jack and like all the people that are trying they're trying to defend New Jack online here lately just because like he was kind of good on the mic a little bit which he was I'll give him that but the man wasn't a wrestler he literally his whole gimmick was just I'm gonna hit you with things and then if you piss me off I'm gonna stab you with sharp objects like literally like not like not like I'm fake stabbing you yeah like this man like he would get mad at somebody uh, like they would like disrespect him somehow, like or I'm, perceived slight disrespect. Yeah. Well, and, and the thing is, is like even the, the things where it's like, okay, I could understand why you're mad, but like, there's no reason for you to be this fucking extra and like nearly scalp a kid. Like that made me physically ill watching that footage. Yeah. The the mass transit incident is definitely the most infamous story in New Jack's career. That in, that almost like stopped ECW's run before it even started. Like, they were finally getting momentum. They were finally going to get a pay-per-view. And that incident actually got their pay-per-view postponed, and it almost didn't happen. Yeah. But in 97, they finally got a pay-per-view. And um, and just a little shit. Like, I understand, like, I know I'm not a wrestler or anything, but, you know, I'd like to think, you know, from everything that I've read or heard, that I can kind of understand, like, certain aspects of what goes on and whatnot. And I can kind of understand that, like, a, a quote-unquote rookie coming up to a veteran, like, suggesting things to do, you know, you know, kind of a little bit of disrespect maybe, but, you know, all you really have to do is be like, hey, man, don't worry, I got this, we'll, we'll figure it out and whatnot. But no, instead, you know, and I, I will say that one match, uh, I think it happened, what was it, like, I don't know, that guy who claimed that New Jack can cook spaghetti real good, his his promotion. <laughs> oh, yeah. He was like, oh, man, well, our company was really picking up momentum. There were like 10 fucking people in the crowd. And uh, oh, yeah. I guess the guy threw a potato at New Jack. A potato is a wrestling term for actually hitting somebody. So New Jack, now I, I'd understand getting mad. Like, just give him one back. Don't fucking stab him nine fucking times with a knife. Jesus Christ. And the fact that he just had that on his person was oh, like, yeah. what the fuck, dude? Like, And almost, according to New Jack, I swear, before every one of these stories, he is like high as balls on cocaine. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he would always, in the interviews, be like, man, I was just coked out of my fucking mind. I'm like, that probably explains 90% of it. Because that's what's so, like, I guess frustrating about New Jack as a wrestler is that he kind of like openly admits to all these sort of outright criminal acts and there's never really been much in the way of like repercussions for his actions and and he's been working fairly consistently since the you know 80s and 90s and he like he still gets booked today and like I'm sure because of the uh, Dark Side of the Rain that only sort of like ups his notoriety and his infamy because like 
as much as we enjoy wrestling, wrestling does have a dark side, hence the, this documentary series. Because there's, like, there's a lot of gross people and, and like bad politics and just sort of like bad things that happen. And there, unfortunately, there's still a lot of like crooked people that run shows and don't book people who are like have a, a certain amount of infamy just sort of for the, the buzz of like, hey, we got this fucked up dude in the show. This will get those people be like, what the fuck? Let's go see that. Yeah. And, the, and another thing that's, oh God, he, of course, because of the dark side of the ring, New Jack is all up on Twitter. Like just, just I'm like good for you. Enjoy your fucking success, even though you're successful at being a piece of shit. And um, like, there's this one tweet that really pissed me off. I don't know it like word for word. I'm, I might have taken a screenshot. I don't remember, but it was something along the lines of he was. I guess he was watching WWE recently, and he saw Kevin Owens, who is who is actually a good wrestler, who can actually fucking perform in the ring. And it's um, also a really good human being. Yes. And uh, apparently he did a dive or something off of something. Like, uh, Kevin Owens has taken some pretty, like, nasty-looking bumps in his career. Like, not just in WWE, but, like, you know, Ring of Honor, the Indies, all kinds of things. And then New Jack's going to be like, I saw this I saw this fat fuck doing a, a dive or a belly flop or whatever he wants to call it. Motherfucker, stop trying to be me. And I was like, as much as I wanted to get into his mention so bad and just – it wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have amounted to anything because it's just giving him more attention. But, you know, still, when people say stupid shit like that, like, trapped, that's something we'd be getting into during this quarantine. Traps, the lead singer's a fucking insane person, but I'm getting off track. But, yeah, New Jack is just being a real piece of shit. And I guess um, catching up on Dark Side of the Ring, the latest one was um, the Brawl for All tournament. Yeah. Which made me hate Vince Russo even more to this day. God, just even hearing him talk, I'm like, God damn, shut the fuck up. A part of me wants to watch it again because I wasn't paying attention, but he likes to say, bro, <laughs> bro, bro, it's going to be huge. We're going to fucking do the thing. He's kind of like a, a Jersey Trump. Like, bro, we got to do the <laughs> But like, yeah, the Brawl for All tournament uh, essentially was, hey, why don't we take our professional wrestlers who essentially fake fight to put on shows. Let's see what happens when we put them in a real mixed martial arts uh, boxing match. Yeah, which was, like, confusing because it was like, okay, it's going to be a boxing match, but, what like, they can do takedowns, they can, like, do other things like they like well, couldn't do in boxing. Yeah, I think they were more so trying to go for the mixed martial arts thing. Yeah, but, uh, but like, the rules were, like, really, con- like... <laughs> vague and confusing and no one knew what was like even the announcer was like is that legal i don't know it's like just feel like they're making it up as they go along because because russo is known for putting together these very like weird convoluted like nonsensical like matches and stories and like that's something he's very infamously known for throughout wrestling and like this was sort of like a a shining moment in a bad way Mm. for Vince Russo. Because according to this episode, um, the main emphasis, the starting point of the Brawl for All tournament was him getting tired of hearing um, JBL, uh, John Bradshaw Layfield, talk about in the ring how if professional wrestling was real, then he would beat every motherfucker backstage. So Vince Russo, which I hate the man, but I also hate Bradshaw. I really dislike this man. He's also a piece of shit. And um, so he's like, okay, well, let's see what happens. So he takes the idea to Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon okays it. And and then later on down the tournament, Bradshaw gets his fucking head taken off by uh, Bart Gunn. 
And another weird uh, tidbit about this was this was supposed to be real fighting. This was supposed to be a shoot, but they were still trying to to manipulate the winner because this was supposed to be Dr. Death Steve Williams push into getting like a main event feud with Steve Austin at the time. You can't control a real fight. It's like, this is supposed to be real. You're like, hey, we're going to act like we knocked you out. Like, like tell him to take a dive or whatever. So like, like one of like this mid card guy named Bart Gunn, who was never really like a a big thing. He was like in a tag team with Billy Gunn. It was like the smoking guns. And I think some tags, I think like the Midnight Express or something like that. Uh, That sounds right. But um, anyway, he gets, he ends up winning the thing. Yeah, and I mean, and he's kind of a smaller guy. I mean, yeah. but like you, like he knows how to fight. I mean, he was just like clocking dudes. Yeah. So he ends up winning, and his prize for winning is uh, getting his head taken off by Butterbean at the following year's WrestleMania as some sort of weird punishment for him doing what his bosses told him to do. Yeah, that, that's. Uh, like I always heard stories of Vince McMahon being a fucking shithead, but just how like vindictive he is of just like it's like, dude, fuck mm. off. It's not that important. Yeah, like that that thing. It like two like oh <laughs> so you lost like a thousand dollars. Whoopty fucking do. And I think that ultimately like was the catalyst to end Doctor Death's wrestling career too, because. If I remember correctly, he didn't wrestle again after that. Yeah. I think he popped up in WCW a little bit. I'm not 100% sure if he wrestled or not. But, but yeah, Dark Side of the Ring, that's a, that's another show. That's about all the shows that I've been actually keeping up with during this time in the world. I think the, the last show I, uh, I was watching is sort of like a nice sort of break from sort of the more heavy material we've been discussing, like <laughs> Light Narcos, Dark Side of the Ring, Treated Dead, like very like, they are definitely very morbid, morose, and like cynical views. Uh, the show I was really getting into is it's, it's sort of like what my previous for the, for the more morbid stuff. Away. I've been watching a lot of Riverdale lately, yeah. and it's so much fun. It's dumb as shit, but it's so much. It's so good to watch because if you don't know, Riverdale is sort of like the modern teen drama reimagining of the Archie comics. You know, Archie, Betty, Veronica, Jughead, their whole gang. First season is about teen mystery, murder, drama, and, like, one of the kids gets murdered, and they sort of all the kids getting together to figure out who killed this kid. And it just, there's a lot of sex. There's a lot of really dumb drama, people hooking up, smooching, like, flip-flopping who they're talking to. And w- one of the things I love about the show is just how, like, wildly inconsistent it can be. <laughs> because like there there are so many times in in the just the first three seasons where they'll make a point they'll like start a story and then it's just never mentioned again. There's a really great bit in the second season where spoilers for Riverdale, I guess, where there's a serial killer running around and there's this one girl who they sort of get focus on for a couple episodes. How it seems like she's being targeted by the killer. He's leaving like creepy notes you feel like she's being followed and it's like it ends up with like a an organ or a heart being found in her locker and so it sort of builds up to that that the murderer is sort of stalking her and, and in the episode or like partway through the episode it's revealed that one of the kids kind of did that some kind of weird affection towards her and then it's just dropped it's just not mentioned ever again. So Vince Russo is writing Riverdale is what you're telling uh, me. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced that Vince Russo isn't moonlighting as a writer on Riverdale because there's just so much weird stuff in there that just makes no goddamn sense, and it's just wonderful. Like um, like in the serial killer season, like Archie's, um, who's the dumbest person on the face of the fucking earth, 
It's like I'm just a genuine guy, but I have to I, like I have to help. I have to save everybody. I have to fix everybody's problems, but I do it really badly because his father gets shot by the killer. You know, spoiler. You know, it doesn't matter. It's just fucking stupid. <laughs> and uh, his father, his father gets shot. His father recovers, but Archie's just like so mad. It's like my dad was hurt and I couldn't help him, so I'm going to start a vigilante force with teenagers. We'll just get all the team, all the football teams just going to rally up and get a baseball bat and just like patrol the streets. And what he does to sort of signify his hard stance, uh, serial killers in this. He's tough on crime. Yeah, his hard <laughs> stuff on crime. This weirdly 1950s slash modern era town is that he posts a video to YouTube. It's like, we're the bread circle. Like, he's kind of like, this is the name of my vigilante crew. We're coming for you, serial killer. And he, he's flanked on all sides by, like, shirtless ripped dudes and, like, and like red ski masks. It's like, yeah, this Kevin Klein underwear model video is, <laughs> is supposed to strike heart into a serial killer and ward off crime. And it's, it's so fucking goofy. I love it so much. It's... <laughs> It sounds like a CW show. It is a CW. And this is a CW show that CW hasn't made. I mean, this is coming from a huge Supernatural fan. I'm not. I'm not caught up, but goddamn, I love Supernatural. Like, yeah, I do. Except for season seven. I remember my sister and I used to watch uh, Supernatural, taking that uh, divergence for a second, and because it was it's supposed to be, it was scripted for five seasons, and they they got re- renewed for more after that. And I remember there was some stuff after the fifth season that was just like, this is butt fuck stupid. Because yeah. I, th- I remember there's a there's one episode that my sister she loved it at the time. We were watching. She got up and left and never came back. <laughs> What was it? Do you remember what happened? I I think it might have been the episode. It either might have been the one about the dragons that survived in the in the modern day by describing uh, themselves as human. Yeah. And there's and like they like there's like Excalibur involved or some shit. They go into like a factory and Excalibur's like in a rock in a factory and there's like a lady there. I guess she's a lady late and uh, it's fucking dumb. God, probably the one of the worst one was when there's a mannequin that's like stealing people's organs or hmm. some shit. It was fucking stupid. I mean, and like I, I heard after like season eight, it starts to rerail itself again. But yeah, I believe because so. season season seven is when they brought in the fucking Leviathan. Yeah, I'm not saying that was dumb, but it, that season as a whole, it just didn't really click for me. And like some of my favorite episodes of Supernatural are the fucking batshit silly as hell episodes. No, there's, like, there's definitely a time and place for like silly fun <laughs> stuff. But this is this was like dumb in a bad way. Like, yeah, like he. Like there's like you know see the see for me Riverdale is stupid but like it's fun stupid yeah but, but like I, I watch stuff that's like this is dumb you know there's the difference between good bad and bad bad it's it's extremely subjective and extremely individual taste that's, that's involved and like I know Riverdale is like definitely one of those shows that can really piss people off because uh, there are people who watch it sincerely there's people who watch it I like I guess ironically but I'm, I'm definitely legitimately enjoying it because it's so dumb <laughs> and like another good bit that I find myself being enjoyed like enjoying how frustrated I get is Jughead in the show because people who don't Archie Comp Jughead is like you know he's sort of the laid back big eater guy just kind of goes with the flow he's kind of jovial and this one he's so like morose such a fucking little edgelord like <laughs> The thing is, like, he's 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 pissed off because he's like an outcast in, sh- uh, in the show. Because like he grew up poor, he's different, he's weird. Like, but at the same time, he's pissed off that people are treating him differently because he's sort of weird. He fucking wears his persecution like a badge of honor on his chest and a cross on his back. And it's like you can't have both, you dimwit. 
<laughs> and then like they kind of they're kind of feel like they're kind of flip flopping between both girls. Like I kind of feel like Archie fucks Betty. Then he's just kind of he's kind of fucking Veronica, which is like how it happens in the comics. But like, but Art, but then Jughead's fucking Betty. No, yeah, he's fucking Betty, and Archie's fucking Veronica. And then like Jughead's not really supposed to be into girls because he was like he's now canonically asexual in the comics because back in the old day he, he was just like he didn't like girls because he was just focused on food or whatever or that was why he was so quirky. But now he's like banging Veronica. No, or Betty. I, I can't keep it straight because they keep flip flopping. Get them titties away from me. Give me a fucking cheeseburger. <laughs> And then like he's he's just he's just a morose little edge lord and that's what's so fucking goofy. And then like there's just there's a lot of murdering and killing and fucking in the show. And there's Cheryl Blossom who might have this weird incestuous relationship with her brother, maybe possibly, who really has a rubber band character, like, oh please, I have these humanizing moments to realize that I was sort of neglected by my extremely rich parents, but also this episode needs a bitch character, so <laughs> sign me up. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> It, y'all have to watch Riverdale. It's a goddamn great it show. It sounds it's like a fun TV time. At, the, at its best. I mean, I, I can talk shit about CW shows, but like, you know, like I watched Arrow religiously until it, you know, gave me Walking Dead syndrome where the uh, same shit happened every fucking episode. Where did you fall off on Arrow? <clears throat> I stopped watching when he decided to stop being Arrow and like, like marry, uh, get a house with Felicity, I think. I'm not even uh-huh. sure if I finished that whole season. Uh, what, what season that was is like that? Four? Five? I dropped I off of the episode where he fought Ra's al Ghul and he <laughs> fell off a cliff and, and he died. Yeah. Because that's where I fell off. I was like, fuck, this is dumb. Well, I, like, me and Ollie fell off that same goddamn cliff <laughs> for different reasons. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I enjoyed it initially in the beginning, you know, initially because it was pretty much Batman with a bow. Yeah, I mean, if you're a fan of Green Arrow, you're not going to like that show. It, yeah. it's, it's not Oliver from the comic. He's, he's basically then trying to have Batman, but they can't have Batman. Which is stupid. Why can't they have Batman? Because he's in the movies. Well, well, that gives us another thing. I'll take back to that damn uh, in Crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, it's kind of cool. They bring Kevin Conroy as an old, decrepit Bruce Wayne, but he's wearing, like, a mech suit. And I don't know what it is, like... His first, when it's off camera and he's talking, it's like, oh man, it's Kevin Conroy and everything. And then you, you see him on screen and it seems like his, his Batman, was Bruce Wayne, Batman voice, like kind of like falls off, like depending on what's happening in the scene. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was kind of weird. It was kind of cool, but at the same time, you know, I was, it was like, yeah, I don't want to see old old ass Batman. Like, I mean, I do want to see old ass Batman if they did like a, you know, like a Batman Beyond thing. It's just probably it's just the disparity between the 1990s animated series Batman voice and just Kevin Conroy like no. like his physicality because like you know he's an older man you know very like thin bodied so like it's it was like there's something really kind of uncanny about hearing like a cartoon character's voice come out of the person like yeah there was a live that's an episode of SpongeBob recently where it had all the voice actors play their roles in real life. So you have, like, Tom Kenny playing Spongebob and Clancy Brown playing Mr. Krabs. So, you, like, you see the real-life actors in a real-life setting doing the voices, and it's kind of jarring how it just, this doesn't seem like that voice could come from a human body. As someone who yeah. hates Spongebob, hearing you say that makes me hate it even more. <laughs> I, I'm in the minority, apparently, with the whole Spongebob thing, so... But speaking of SpongeBob, I've been watching SpongeBob. Uh, 
Oh yeah, because yesterday I was like, I need like like you were saying, I need something to fucking distract me from all this news and all the morose shit I'm watching. And, and like, there is a definite point where SpongeBob just gets god fucking awful. But those first three seasons, like, fuck me, they're so good. I feel like next to The Simpsons, SpongeBob is probably the most like mimetic cartoon like out there. Oh yeah, because I mean, I'm. It's just I don't know. You can just see a picture and just hear the like the lines or the jokes or anything. Or you or can or you can like hear the characters' voices in your head. Like I remember reading like the Simpsons comics, hearing every person's voice crystal clear because like yeah. the Simpsons is just so ingrained in mm-hmm. like popular culture that you just know the voices right away, even if you have like like a. a a non-audio format that you can still envision those characters perfectly. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And like the Simpsons, it's gone on for way too long and needs to stop. But but if you learn anything, as long as it makes some kind of profit, people will continue to make it. Mm-hmm. Indeedy, reedy. And uh, we, we talked a lot about movies. So like like what like what have we been playing recently? If we're kind of sitting at home and we can't watch everything all the day, we need to be more active. So we. You kind of turn to games. So, what have y'all been playing? I've, I've been mostly playing uh, the Resident Evil Two remake because my Final <laughs> Fantasy Seven is still not here. God damn it! Oh no, the the UPS thing says it's here, but ooh, so I might have a little surprise after this episode. Shit, yeah. But uh, but yeah, the uh, I've been playing Resident Evil Two remake, and I believe it has surpassed four as my favorite in the series because there was a summer where I just that was the only game I played. I would literally like beat it and restart it, beat it and restart it. Cause it was just so fun. And like, even now I could tell you all about, I could probably like draw out the map to every location in that fucking game. God, just this game is like genuinely terrifying. And I, I was not prepared for that. <laughs> I was not prepared for that at all. Cause like, he's not lying because I remember there was one night earlier this week and I'm kind of like in my room and I just hear Johnson scream and like the whole house is pitch black. And I'm like, I come out in the living room and it's like, what's up? We're like, what's going on? Are you okay? Cause he's like, this is like a legit loud yell. And my deaf ass could hear him in the back of the house. <laughs> Yeah, and, and like I, I've been trying to not be like super animated when that sh- stuff like that happens, but you can't help but just fucking scream. Oh yeah, there have been times where I'll just like walk into the kitchen and grab something, and I'll start watching you play, and and something will get us both. And like, <laughs> oh shit! Because like, I remember that too. Like I was coming to get a glass of water, and I and I come in just to like the threshold of the living room, and you both like jump and shout, and I was like, okay. <laughs> Because like, there was, there was a, I was, uh, I was in the library and I was kind of like fucking around and I opened or no, I was, uh, I was in the clock tower and, and I was, and I hear Mr. X and I think I thought I heard him behind me. I'm like, fuck, I need to run. I open the door. He's right there and just immediately punches me in the face. I'm like, what the shit? I mean, it's a pretty faithful recreation of the uh, original Resident Evil 2. Uh, you know, just updated for uh, 2019. And God, you can. Uh, I played the. I played Claire's scenario first and kind of played it, you know, with the new music and everything and the new costumes. But with Leon's playthrough, I switched to the classic costumes and the classic music and yes. just walking into that save room and hearing that music. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> uh, the only really criticism I have of the game 
are the boss fights are fucking infuriating because and, and this is a this is not a new criticism for Resident Evil. I think there have been some games where the bosses have been good, but they're very few and far between. It's it's basically to kind of just get rid of all your ammo that you stocked up. But like especially a lot of the William Birkin fights in Resident Evil Two are just there. You're in very tight areas, and he's just this big fuck all monster. So you're having like bob and weave out of him, like literally eviscerating you. But uh, I think it's the second to last fight with him. You're in this area where he just starts like throwing these giant canisters at you. And, and like your running speed is like really slow. So if you don't like start immediately running, he will literally like throw it across the map and hit your ass and it will take you from green to immediately red. I'm just like, oh, this is fucking bullshit. But but yeah, it's like genuinely like terrifying. I was just not because like I like I really love Resident Evil Four, but that game is not super scary. Like the first like the parts in the village are kind of spooky, like especially with the chainsaw guy and everything. But and I guess it's because I've played it so much. It's kind of I've wrung out all the fear from it. But with this one, it's and it's not just like jump scares. It's just you know every, even unlike the set the original Resident Evil Two, like a lot of the hallways are just dark and you can't really see anything and you just. The sound design in the game is immaculate, but yeah, I definitely, if you have not played it, all like two of you, I highly recommend Resident Evil 2 Remake. I don't appreciate you calling me out like that, Jonathan. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, I played the, the the second one like on PS1. Yeah. That, that was the first Resident Evil game that I completed start to finish in one day. I, I can almost remember the clock. I know it was like at nine hours. It was like mm-hmm. me and my cousin, we were like flip-flopping the controller playing it. I think it was only just the one story, like one side. Because you can play both yeah. again, right? And that one? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was that was the first Resident Evil I ever beat start to finish. You're playing a game, Vampire? Yeah. I Well, I started uh, Vampire about a week or so ago. Uh, well, I should say again, because I bought the game. I'd heard about it on like reviews and such online and it looked pretty interesting, very dialogue story driven because <clears throat> you, you play this doctor who had just come back from the war. It's happening during, I think, 1918 during the Spanish flu epidemic. Yeah. Like you're, you're going through the city. You're like seeing signs saying, Haha, cover your mouth. Don't uh, try not to cough in public. Uh, wear masks, shit like that. And I'm like, just oh, like, whoa. Getting close to home. Like, that's, that's got a little fucking eerie. Um, <clears throat> it kind of plays like, like a, like a Souls game almost. I don't think it's hard as it, although I, I got stuck on this mission where I have to get something. I think I'm only like a level 15, but the baddie that's in my way is a level 25 and that's one hit and you're fucking dead. So it's, 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 it has a really cool concept because, you literally have conversations with everybody you uh, meet in the game. And the way their XP system works is uh, the more you find out about this person, better blood content they have, which is essentially their XP. So you meet somebody and, you know, uh, get buddy-buddy with them or, you know, chat with them a lot and you find out either good or shady things about them and they'll get, like, like 3,000 XP, 6,000 XP, because you could progress, um, uh, get XP throughout, you know, playing and whatnot, 
but it's not a lot. So you have to make choices. Like, am I going to take this person out and get that and beef up my XP so I can go longer in the game? But it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario because the more people you take out in a certain area... Oh, shit. Wait, does Jonathan have a special delivery in the house? Oh, my God. I think we got it, folks. I'm going to pause my vampire talk because I think Jonathan just got Final Fantasy. Will this be the the very first unboxing on a podcast? Yeah, like, because you can totally see it. (laughs) But but anyway, while um, the more people you take out, the worse off that part of town gets. And, like, people start getting sick and um, people start, oh, yeah, just people start getting sick because, of course, you're also a doctor and you can collect things throughout the world where you can make medicine for these people to get them better, to get their blood content or XP level higher for you to take out later. And it's, I don't know, I kind of stopped playing it because of that, because of me getting stuck there. Uh, I'm... Like Jonathan said earlier, I've I've been kind of like wishy washy on what I've been more so playing than like watching these days because because like right now as of a few days ago I I dove back into uh, Marvel's Spider Man the PS4 game yeah which is an amazing fucking game <laughs> I also bought the um, City That Never Sleeps DLC which is basically that game season pass. Because it was on sale for 12 bucks, So I was like, well, the fuck yeah. Why not? Why not? And I haven't gotten to that uh, the DLC portions yet because I'm in the middle of my ultimate playthrough, which is the hardest difficulty in the game. But how, how hard is it compared to... It's It doesn't get bad until the end. Because, you see, I'm, play, I'm also playing it on New Game Plus. Oh, so you have all your stuff you got from previous... Uh playthroughs yeah i have all my gear i have all my my specific web shooters for that game like different web attachments and whatnot and um and like i said like i've been playing it on this so i was finally able to get the last couple of gadgets so i officially have all the gadgets that spider-man has in this game but the longer you get into the game uh the the harder the enemies get because they have like armor and different weapons and because now the point I'm in the game, everybody's like coming at you at once. Oh yeah, and it's insane. Like it's it's not the hardest game I've ever played, but last night was the first time since I started playing Spider-Man again that I was just like, I gotta take a break. I'm getting fucking pissed. <laughs> I, I, I gotta go take a breather. And but it is uh, for those of you with a PlayStation, if you haven't played Spider-Man, you really need to get to, like. The Batman games have been like... It has a uh, fighting mechanic like the Batman Arkham games. And I think this game has surpassed those games for me. And I am like the biggest Batman fan you'll ever meet in your life. But Spider-Man is where it's at. You get like so many different outfits. You can like switch your outfit like while you're swinging in midair. So many different costumes. It's a beautiful game. I don't even have a pro. I have just the regular PlayStation and it's... Smooth as butter. The graphics are insane. Characters, the, the voice acting is phenomenal. There's even a Stan Lee cameo in there too. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, he like he he like uh, is the the owner of a diner. Like you and MJ, like you and MJ during this game, y'all are split up. You're working for Doctor Octavius, and Mary Jane actually works for the Daily Bugle. Okay. Yeah, they they've changed some things around. Like, Miles Morales is in this universe, which yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm not too familiar with. I've been reading the the current Amazing Spider-Man run, but that's about it. From my understanding, Miles and uh, 
Peter were not initially in the same universe. Yeah, because no. uh, Miles was in the Ultimate Universe. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And then uh, once you know what was it? Ultimatum it was, was the no. Fuck? Ultimatum came way before that. It was Secret Wars because because that was sort um, of like they're sort of they're retiring of the Ultimate Universe because it started like in the two thousands and it well it's intended to be sort of like a very streamlined version of the of the Marvel Universe. It kind of got a little too grandiose and wild for its own good. Mm. So, um, but then, like, after Secret War, they sort of enveloped a lot of the things that were very popular and was, I feel like, still work for the Ultimate Universe. They sort of integrated that into the main Marvel Universe. And that's sort of why Miles is now in the mainstream Marvel comics. But to your point, I do like that because it gives this sort of story of Spider-Man, like, its own unique flavor. Yeah. Because, like, like I love Spider-Man, too, but... I feel like people get a little too caught up in like making every version of Spider-Man have like the same beat points, like right? Because I, cause, you know, mm-hmm. there's there's certain things that you kind of like you that kind of kind of have to be established for Spider-Man, but at the same time, I kind of don't want to see the exact same story each time. Like there's 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 so much in Spider-Man and so much that has been done with it. Like you're allowed to do something different with it. And I feel like that makes it still okay. Like I remember there was um, a Spider-Man cartoon a while back. I think it was Ultimate Spider-Man on Disney XT. Mm-hmm. In any case, there was a, there was a Spider-Man cartoon where Venom was Harry Osborn instead huh. of uh, uh, Eddie, Eddie Brock. Brock. Okay, it was just like that's because that, that was like a big reveal because Eddie because like Venom was sort of showing around and then he reveals himself to Peter as Harry and it's like that's a big twist. But I thought it was neat and different and he wasn't like really antagonistic towards Peter at first and then just at least that. Right, reveal. So like, hey man, check this out. I'm Venom, dude. And uh, and plus, there's like, there's 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 a lot of different scenes that come up. But I, I do like how they're kind of turning what's known about Spider-Man on its head and giving you a unique flavor for the game. Yeah, but yeah. this this one chapter that I've that I've arrived in the game uh, again, it's it's harkening back to to Vampire. Uh, there's this um, there's this chemical that if used in the right ways can like save a lot of lives, help a lot of people. But it hasn't been fully perfected yet, and it's called Dragon's Breath. And uh, spoilers, uh, Dr. Octavius, he releases Dragon's Breath throughout New York, and now everybody is wearing masks and coughing up blood and fucking (laughs) dying from this shit. This is two games that I've been playing. You're you're trying to play... Get a game to escape from reality, but it just keeps reminding you of the worst way. It's so fucking bizarre. It it just I, I don't know how this happened. It just did. And everything else on the game front, like um Call of Duty, Modern Warfare, you know, they have Warzone, they have their own battle royale now. I don't think I have to spend too much time on that one. But um going back for an old, much older game, um there's this channel on YouTube that I've been watching recently that takes deep dives into older wrestling games because i love wrestling video games when they're good 2k20 i might buy you when you're five dollars but not until then um i think that would even be too much (laughs) but um uh he featured he did a uh, i guess like a a somewhat documentary or or like a retrospect of wwe all-stars which is probably one of my favorite wrestling games of all time it is not your run-of-the-mill simulation wrestling game by any means. The character models are highly exaggerated. These are like super cartoonish, beefed-up 
meatheads. <laughs> Although John Cena's character model might have been modeled after what he looked like at the time, because that's a huge man. But um, it, it plays more so like a fighting game than an actual wrestling game, and that's kind of why I like it. Uh, not so much in the, um, like, you know, Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter where you have to learn, like, certain combos and whatnot. But, you know, you hit, a, you hit a button, you got your weak attacks, your strong attacks. When you do, like, signature and finishing moves, they are, like, super, like, they're, you're basically, like, going, like, super Saiyan, like, throwing motherfuckers around everywhere. Like, the best example I can think of, um, let's say... Uh, Let's let's take Eddie Guerrero, for instance. Like, if you get your finishing move, you can literally uh, store your finisher, and as soon as you hit the button, you do, no matter where you are in the ring, you hit a backflip, land on the turnbuckle, and just jump off the turnbuckle like like 15 feet in the air, do a flip, and hit a frog splash. You got, uh, like, Seamus doing his Celtic cross where he's like, you hold him up by their arms, and you jump again like 20-something feet in the air and slamming them down for pile drivers and whatnot. And it's it's so much fun. And, like, if you get on the turnbuckle and you jump at a motherfucker, it's actually harder to miss somebody than actually – because you'll hit it almost every time. Like, when a computer gets on the turnbuckle to do an offensive move on me, like, and I try to run away, he hits me every time. Yeah, like, yeah no matter where you're at on the ring. Like, it, it's insane. Uh, it's one of my favorites. And I've also went back to uh, WWE 13 a little bit. Uh, it's it, it's a basic wrestling game, but it was it played more arcadey than the uh, than the 2K games that we have now. Plus, it has Attitude Era mode, one of the best times to watch wrestling, and you get to relive some of the biggest and best matches that happened during the Attitude Era. So I've been having a lot of fun with that. Last night, I was literally changing well not changing costumes because the the creation suite it was advanced but if you wanted to change regular wrestlers attires really all you can do is like change your colors so last night i spent like just about an hour just like making alternative costumes to some of the wrestlers that were on the game it was actually pretty fun i was just sitting there listening to a podcast and just changing people around a little bit it was, it was a fun time I know when uh, Justin he he would get the the two K games like he would make like all of us and <laughs> and like very detailed like uh, character models and the creator wrestler for all of us like with like all of us have music and entrances and animations so like the creator character and the two K games has always been like very in depth and I yeah. I feel like that's one of the, like a fond memory I have like adjacent to the series even though I haven't really played it but a game I have been playing uh is it, very much like. Uh, an escape from some of the, the morbidity of life at the moment is Animal Crossing New Horizons. And I that's pretty much my my go-to game that I've been playing consistently ever since it came out. It's just it's just a, a lush, like, light-hearted, like, wonderful world to sort of explore. And one thing I really enjoyed about this game is sort of like the acclimation of your your player to the overall world. I feel like they sort of sort of section off the game in like very good ways where you you feel like you're like growing with the game and like learning about, you know, crafting and getting your items and sort of like explore the world in sort of sections. You you cross the river, you get to go explore sort of the the lateral parts of the of your island, then you go then you get the ladder, you go to like the more vertical areas and sort of like it's it, it all unfolds at a very good pace. And it's been been a, a good way to socialize when we when we can't do it physically because like just about everybody I know has Animal Crossing. They we we have gone to their towns that we I, uh, they come to mine and 
Like my sister played. She doesn't play video games at all, but she loves Animal Crossing. We all played as a family back. Wild World came out on the DS, gosh, probably close to 10 years ago now. And uh, that, that was like a very fond thing for my family th- that we did. And just sort of like hearing everybody talking about it. And just like in a greater sense, like if you go online, at least for me, that's like at least half of what people are talking about. It's just like it's a great way to escape sort of like the uncertainty and the fear that's going on right now because like you have like this cute little world filled with animals and like you know nature that you can that you can control very literally to like a to a very minute degree once you unlock uh terraforming and like alien creation and it's just it's just a it, there's no there's no right or wrong way to play you sort of wake up and you start your day you know you plant flowers you uh, you pick fruit you um you garden, you look for fossils and, and insects and fish, and it's just a, it's a wholesome, positive experience in a, in a video game that I feel like it, it help, it's definitely helping people get by right now, and it's just so like something I play like an hour a day, and it's sort of just like before bed or just like when I'm just in a funk and just like it kind of kicks me out, and I feel like it, it's my, my chill-out time, my like times I can just sort of like – I know – it's something that I can control and sort of do and make and sort of like make right in my own way in, in this game. And like, I feel like it gives sort of maybe a meaning and a purpose for people who, who kind of feel like they don't know where to go right now. Uh, Liz always shows me how her, how her uh, island's going and she's got a nice little pretty island, got a little garden, so many like pretty little flowers everywhere. I love watching her play it when, um, at night because apparently uh, spiders come out. Oh yeah, because in, in this game, like in Wild World, there are tarantulas, and they're mean sons of bitches because uh, they will actively chase you, and if they bite you, you pass out. And like, <laughs> but the, but the trick is they're worth a shit ton of money, so that's why people try to catch them, but they're really hard to catch. Yeah, it's just fun because like she hates spiders, and <laughs> like I remember one time she caught one, and I think you it like shows you you're like holding like if you caught a fish or something, it shows you like, hey, look what I got, but. She had got a spider, but there was one right behind her. <laughs> and the, like, as soon as she got out of that shot, the spider got her. Like, it, it's funny. Like, man, sometimes it sucks being the only one in the house without a without a switch. I've been like really thinking about getting one here lately, but apparently they're fucking almost sold out everywhere because of this. Really? Like, apparently people have been buying the shit out of the switch. And, like, uh, some places are, like, marking up the prices because of it, which is bullshit. I know that is predatory. I know my sister, she had to really look around for hers. Like, she bought hers online. I think she went through uh, on GameStop's website. But I don't know, for whatever reason, hers, her game, because you bought Animal Crossing and a Switch Lite, and they came separately. So she had to wait, like, an extra day to get her Switch because the game came first. Oh, fuck. <laughs> and uh, we we played together uh, last night for the first time, and that just that just brought me back so many memories of just like because when we played Wild World for the DS, we it was literally my sister, myself, and our two cousins, and and we, we literally shared one game because four people can live in the same house in one game, and we sort of pass it back and forth like we would get it for two weeks or a week or two, then they would get it, and we sort of just like leave little stuff for others to find, like we kind of like chop down trees, dig holes, kind of like kind of like have like goose with each other and then eventually we all got our own games and got our own uh, towns and it's sort of like this weird like moving away from home moment and then like and us coming back to it with um new horizon has been a lot of fun like i said my sister just does not play games has no interest in games 
But then when she found out that New Horizons came out, she literally called me up. It's like, hey, give me your Switch so I can play Animal Crossing. And it's like, we are in quarantine. I can't give it to you. You got to buy your own. It's just like, damn it. And uh, But speaking of games, one last game we want to talk about, and that's the uh, that was the Final Fantasy remake. And with our, with, uh, <laughs> our first podcast unboxing and because Jonathan did get that in the mail what was in your package there uh I I I didn't get the big fuck all one that was like four hundred dollars which like the tiers for this was like you got the regular game is 60 you got the one I got which was about 80 90 and then 400 Jesus Christ (laughs) why don't you tell us what came in that four hundred dollar tier the only difference between the one I have and the four hundred dollar tier is this like big fuck all really detailed uh, statue of Cloud and his motorcycle. And this and this some bitch is huge. She was like what, what well over a foot long? May I I, I don't know. It, it, it's definitely like a mantle piece. Yeah, a hundred percent. So what did your version of the game come with like with the bigger <coughs> box it come with like any extra like swag or goodies? Uh yeah, I got me a a lanyard because I ordered it from the Square Enix store. And Hell yeah. You better believe I'm replacing mine with this. Comes with the game itself. A mini CD soundtrack. uh, Some extra like DLC summons. And then an art book. Once I get this fucking thing open. Yeah, let's get some like ASMR with uh, Mm. with that. (laughs) That crinkly package is going to get somebody turned on. You can probably use that uh, that lanyard for... uh if we ever get to go to these cons, you can put your badge on that. Oh, yeah, 100%. Because uh, while he's opening that, because we had actually had quite a few cons planned to go to together. And, of course, with COVID, all those would have been rescheduled. Because we, we, literally, uh, it was supposed to be uh, it was supposed to be this week we were supposed to go to Huntsville? Uh, next week we next, were supposed to be in Huntsville, yeah. Next yeah. Week, uh, Huntsville Comic and Pop Culture Expo in Huntsville, Lebanon. That's about two hours north of us. And uh, we were really looking forward to that. And that's postponed until August. And I guess we'll have to... Oh, July. July, July excuse me. And uh, that we'll have to see how it goes. But, uh, okay, Jonathan's got his box open. So what's in that box? How does that look? All righty. So got the actual game itself. Look at Ooh, that box art. Y'all can't see it, but we can. It's pretty. Yeah, the uh, the box art is very indicative of like, the, uh, the old G cover. White with like Cloud with the sword in his back facing up to the, uh, the evil um, mega corporation that he has to take down. And then uh, a steel book. Oh, know. so you got a regular case and a steel book case? Yeah. That's fucking rad. And on the steel book case, it's just like this black cover with the Final Fantasy logo on the back and Sephiroth wreath and flames in front of the uh, corporation on the front and, uh, so let's see do 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 on the inside it's it's the uh, it's the, it's basically the cover of the og case against cloud and his sword and the uh, on one side and on the other side is the uh, the corporation's tower and then he also has the soundtrack disc how extensive is the soundtrack oh th- this is a very limited soundtrack it only has like 12 tracks and then a little mini art book which has like a lot of d- Item designs, character designs, monster designs. I think I saw Bahamut. Yeah. Now, I've never really gotten into Final Fantasy. My friend that I play online games with, he told me that even I would probably enjoy this game because it's, it's kind of just like a third-person action game with some R- RPG elements. Yeah, they, they've really overhauled the combat. Because usually with RPGs, it's usually turn-based or like action, like Kingdom Hearts. And it, it, you really just cannot do an in between, but they somehow have done it, and it, it's it worked. 
and it's a fucking gorgeous game. And, and so far, like all the reviews about it are pretty good because this is only part one. They're, they're doing it episodically. Is it going to be like in DLC form or no? It's like separate games. Oh shit! So they're breaking down the game essentially into different parts. Like this is like, and all life they probably made like a trilogy of it. So this is essentially, uh, ostensibly, the first first third of the game will say with like some added content. Because it's not only it's, it's a remake structurally of the game, but they also like it's a, it's an enhanced remake with like new content, new story information. They took stuff from like the overall expanded Final Fantasy universe and story on itself, and sort of incorporated that the pieces that worked it back into the remake. Yeah, uh, I, I've been reading reviews, and oh, there have been some people who said, yeah, this game is kind of fillery in the middle, which I, that was one of the big things I was worried about because. The chunk of this game that it's adapting from the original one from the PlayStation is literally the first five hours. Oh, wow. Out of a, if you don't do any of the extra stuff, a 40-hour game. Shit. Yeah, so hopefully hopefully what my idea, and granted, this could be different depending on, because apparently the ending to this game is like fucking bonkers. Because the original game came in three discs because it was so big. So hopefully, like they'll just do the risk of disc one for the next one, and then do disc two and three for the last one. Because I, I think like structurally that would work, but I don't know. I mean, is there any word on like how they did they already have a plan to make it a three parter, <laughs> or is it just like okay, here's the first one, let's see it, how it goes? They, they've just said it's going to be episodic, and they and uh, one of the last, I think it might have been E three last year, they were like, we don't know how many parts this thing is going to be, so it's like, I hope they don't super balloon everything out. Like, I, I hope they kind of with the next two, it's a little more focused. Yeah, cause it's only- just like trilogies are very like common in like any any sort of media so like you would hope it would be final fantasy 7 1 2 and 3 that's a manageable way to break down a a big story into chunks and and still gives like some stuff to expand upon so it doesn't feel like you're playing like a tiny portion of the game and it feels like you know and it shows i feel like as long as they take the time to plan it out it could it could really be something special because already i've seen a lot of people just loving and gushing on this game already and you know we played we played the demo about about a month ago you can find on our youtube at youtube slash all you can hear and just that demo it's like an hour and a half long and it's it's a lot of fun me like i i fumbled my way through it but it's still like very satisfying to play. You know, you're just taking your sword and you're just mowing down the enemies. You're casting magic, and that that the the boss of that game of the of that demo is like it's it's challenging, but like it's still fun too. So I, I feel like um I feel like it'd be very interesting to see to see you play. I think I think it'd be worth your time to check it out. Yeah, like uh, the the only bits of Final Fantasy that I've ever really dabbled with was I remember I think it was. There was a, a demo for was it fifteen? Yeah. Is it the one where you're like riding around in a in a car yeah. with like two of your buddies? And I mean that was pretty cool. I played that uh demo and I guess I guess if Kingdom Hearts counts, I played the original Kingdom Hearts on the PS two for a little bit and uh our our, our friend Bradley got me Kingdom Hearts three for the PS four. I played that for a little while. It's it's pretty cool. Uh, I don't even think the people who wrote the story of Kingdom Hearts know what the hell's going on. So, <laughs> yeah, because at least my introduction with Kingdom Hearts is literally uh, I played the second game first, 
And needless to say, I had no fucking idea what was going on. Because I made the it's like I made the mistake of a uh, because with three. They give you like the story so far that you, there's like eight fucking videos. <laughs> yes, and they're all maybe like you know three to four minutes long. But I'm just like I watched them all and I was like, okay, that told me nothing. Yeah, I mean, and you you can't condense it into like these little digestible chunks. You have to play like you kind of have to be like more or less baptized in the series to like. To really get a grasp of the story. But at the same time, that's, I think, part of the series' charm. There might be some people out there who take the lore of Kingdom Hearts like very seriously. But I think for, at, at this point, people just like, yeah, the story's butt-fuck crazy. But that's why we like it, because it makes the goddamn sense. Yeah, but and it's so... like, There's a lot of like really stupid shit. But that game has brought me to fucking tears. Just at how emotional it can be. And I'm like, why are you doing this to me, Mickey? Why are you making me cry? <laughs> You fucking mouse, you little shit. Why are you making me cry? Yeah. It's like I do appreciate it to that level because at least in the Kingdom Hearts games, it has characters that I know and have grown up with. And I'm actually pretty hyped. I haven't gotten there yet, but whenever I excuse me, whenever I get back into Kingdom Hearts 3, if that ever happens, I know that there's a Toy Story world. And oh, I, uh, I've played it, and it's really fun. Yes, I'm, I'm all for that. Plus, I just imagine someone like you who doesn't have like a very big exposure in anime, like very Japanese stories. You have all these like Disney movies, and then just like right next to them is just like this super anime looking character, and it's just like this is such a shock to the system. It's super <laughs> jarring. And, and I mean, Kingdom Hearts is like it's like playing an anime. Yeah, like no joke. <laughs> we talked about games. We talked about shows. Right, what are some of the movies we've been watching lately? I finally watched Incredibles two. Oh yeah, yeah. How do you how like was it? That? I I really enjoyed it. Liz and I watched it. Uh, it's still on Netflix. I, I believe their contract's still ongoing until it goes to Disney Plus. But um, it takes because the first Incredibles, which um, until all of us saw Onward in the theaters before the world shut down, um, was the was the first Pixar movie that I'd seen. Since high school, that's my sophomore year of high school, and I'm very, I'm very behind on my Pixar. That's why I'm glad that I that we have access to Disney Plus now because it's all there and I can finally watch the stuff. But The Incredibles two, it it literally picks up where the first one left off. Like God, what has it been like? It was like fourteen 10? years or something. Yeah, like that. it's like Incredibles one came out what two thousand four. I think that That's, sounds right. That sounds right, yeah. Because I know that was like in middle school, mm-hmm. like late middle school when that when that came out. God, I was in elementary school. Y'all are making me feel young. <laughs> I'm a sophomore in high school. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I'm yeah, baby, it's 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 really good. Uh, I, it's not a bad movie. Uh, I, I still like the first one more. But uh, well, I mean, the first one's a classic. You oh can't. yeah, it's the best Fantastic Four movie we've ever seen. <laughs> we've ever had. You're not wrong. <laughs> And uh, yeah, it uh, it just it picks up. Um, it's basically you know superheroes are, are outlawed. Uh, still, uh, isn't that the story from the first one? It's been a while. Yeah, they, like, they they get after like some like people get sued for like damages. The, the superheroes yeah. start being outlawed. So, are you telling me that the Incredibles is basically the the beginning of what became the Boys? Did the Incredibles inspire the boys' graphic novels? Probably. 
I mean, I remember them being out about the same time because I remember the boys came out like the early mid two thousands. Oh wait a minute! I don't think the boys are not necessarily illegal, but they just need to be kept in check because they fuck up a lot of shit. Right? Yeah. But anyway, um, you know, superheroes are outlawed, but um, this character who's like like a multi millionaire who owns like the biggest uh, like uh, communications uh, company in this universe. <clears throat> It's played by Bob Odenkirk. Saul Goodman <laughs> himself. That made me happy. Hell yeah. And uh, they they uh, get in contact with um, Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl. And they want to get superheroes back up and going. And But they they uh, go with Elastigirl to be like their, what's the word? Like, I guess, poster child or yeah, whatever? Yeah, they're like spokesperson. Yeah. So they want to start off with start off with her and uh, Mr. Incredible is a little a little butthurt about this cuz now he has to stay home and you know take care of the kids and you know they they have this baby which like the audience knows after the first Incredibles movie that this baby has powers but they, uh and of course this is in the trailer too so it's not really a spoiler but you know the dad finds out that Jack Jack has has powers so and it's just a fun ride. Like uh, a new a new villain pops up who is uh, trying to muck up the works, and Elastigirl's trying to save the day while Mister Incredible is just being stay at home Mom. dad for a little. Yes, exactly. Michael Keaton, who became a superhero himself. Wow, just twice, just fucking twice. Uh, I will say I I, I did enjoy uh, watching Incredible Shoes last summer when we saw it. Um, it definitely kind of follows a similar structure as the first Incredibles, but it's still a fun show. I will say, if you have not seen Incredibles 2, like, just like a, a heads up, there's a lot of, like, strobe lighting in this, in this movie. Yeah, because yeah. Because the, how the bad guy sort of does does their, um, their shtick. <coughs> and so, like, if you're, like, sensitive to that at all, be careful going in, because, like, I'm not epileptic, but I'm made very, very uncomfortable like, by like strobing lights. It, 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 it gives like this weird anxiety. I don't appreciate. So like that, and even like, like the other boys when we saw when we saw with the other lads, they were like, "Ooh, this is like intense." Because it's like I swear there's like a solid like sixty seconds in the movie was just like just strobe lights out the ass. But it's it's still a very solid movie. Watch Onward too. Uh, we saw it as we saw it as, as it, like w- with like all the lads and Liz and Cannon and that that's like a, like a big kind of like outing for us the last one before everything got locked up and that was a lot of fun. Which in hindsight, I guess was kind of a bad idea because I guess we didn't understand the scope of what was going on at the time. Because even I was you know like oh man, it's just a it's just a super flu, it's fine. But then like the numbers, and then I kept seeing yeah. the numbers grow, and I'm like, wow, this is some serious shit. Yeah. So, I'm glad we got to see a movie about exploring the world before we were kind of like sequestered in our own each or each of our <laughs> homes, yes. which you can see now at home on VOD or Disney Plus. It is on there now. Yeah, yeah. and it is highly recommended. It's good. My yes. mom was texting me all day about um, her watching it because I because I, I told her about it and she's like, "Oh, let me check that out." She's been just like, "Wow, wow, 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 wow! This is so cool." <laughs> Oh, should, should we talk about um, the, the the wild and wonderful whites of West Virginia? Oh fuck! <laughs> you God, see, you just made me have a PTSD flashback. You see, after Tiger King, after we all went down that rabbit hole, uh, I remembered a little documentary that I saw back in 2009 that was produced by Dick House, the uh, the Jackass crew, 
and I believe this was like an MTV movie, like this MTV Studios kind of uh, thing. I, th- I, th- I think so. And, um, <clears throat> oh my God, it, um, a long, long time ago, apparently it was, I've seen this documentary, but it's been ages. Uh, I was turned on this documentary by some people that I did uh, little theater productions with, and they were all about it. It was called The Dancing Outlaw, and it was this guy named Jesco White, who was just a, a really good tap dancer. And, uh, and, but he's also just like some like backwoods, West Virginia redneck, like threatening to like slice his, his wife's throat for cooking eggs the wrong way. Woman, if you want to see the tomorrow, you better start cooking them eggs. I'm tired of these sloppy, slimy eggs. God, it, it was so uncomfortable to watch because like, like Tiger King is it kind of, it's the whole show is kind of predicated on like, look at these people and they're like gross bad behavior but there's an extra level of like revulsion that comes to this because yeah. <laughs> as as people who sort of lived in like very rural very poor like southern town there's a lot of behavior and like turns of phrase that sort of this just like kicks in like a fight or flight response of like just like weird bullshit that we had to endure like growing up in like a very rural part of Alabama God, like, but it's also kind of weirdly funny and upsetting too. Like, uh, like there, there's the, about the, the the matriarch. She's like, she has a freaking freak out moment, and she just shouts, "My nerves is up! My, my <laughs> nerves is up!" <laughs> and uh, goddamn, the amount of times I've heard that from my more trashier parts of my family, it's like, oh goddamn it! It's like <laughs> that, that that hit it. Even more so than Tiger King, this hit like really close to home, and by like halfway through, I was starting to disassociate. <laughs> yeah, like literally everyone in this show, except for probably the the mother of everyone, before she ended up the, dying, the, the grandmother. Yeah, the grandmother, and then the kids. Everybody is on drugs. Everybody is drinking. People are going to the jail for like what? What was that guy in jail for? Like. Was it murder? A, a, a attempted murder. Attempted? No, no, he shot. He oh, sh- yeah, he shot that dude in the fucking face. And his, like, jaw was, like, hanging out and shit. But, I mean, he lived, but, like. He, he was no. He was so, the guy who was end up being, like, attacked, he was, like, no so nonchalant about the fact that this young guy who, who kind of got into a tiff with rolled up on him, shot him in the face, like, literally blew his jaw, blew part of his, like, parts of his body off, and he just kind of, like, and he and he looks fine, like it's like you couldn't tell that he was merely blown to pieces. And he's just like, yeah, I'm, I, I might uh, beat him to death if I ever saw him again. I guess well, it just depends how I feel. Well, yeah, he was he was like, man, you know, because like they were they were related, right, in some sort of way. I I, th- I, th- I think he might have been his like step-dad. stepdad or yeah, step uncle, like an, like or like an adopted family member. Because like he was, at one point he was just like, you know, because like you said, it's like if I ever saw him again, I'd probably like shoot his ass. But you know, at the same time, I love him. I'm like, he's my family. <laughs> he's my family. <laughs> you're supposed to yeah. love your family. And, and just there, there's this one moment. I think it's after one of one of the girls has a kid and she's in the hospital, and then like her and her. <laughs> Her and her friend are just like crushing up Xanax tabs and are snorting it on the hospital table. And this I'm is like, literally like literally the next day after this woman gives birth, and she's doing like a line of like Xanax, and it's just like okay. And then that sort of leads into like one of the big sort of plot points of the movie. Spoiler, I guess, is that she loses custody of her newborn child, and it's sort of like this really weird winding like road, like how that sort of 
losing their kids, but also right before they go into rehab, they have like this big night of revelry and debaucheries, like uh, one last drill before rehab, and it just, they just go like just big, gross bender, just like, like these- snorting drugs off of the back of a toilet at, at this the, the worst bar. looking bar. I've been in dive bars before. This is like on a whole other level, and I've been to bars that are like almost there, if not there, and I'm just like. Oh my god! And don't forget, everyone in this family looks the same. Like uh, they, yeah. they all have the same face. And don't forget that I've been called the sexiest member of the white family. This is this is a woman, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I used to be a stripper back when I was 16, 17, 18, 19 years old, and I'm <laughs> they called I'm the sexiest member of the white family in Bluegabool, and <laughs> and God love her. Uh, she jumped off the ugly tree and hit every, hit every branch on the way to the bottom. Yeah, and, it, and she's and and, and and like she's still technically the best looking. Yeah, I person. mean she's not wrong. I mean it, it's just that they all that butt fucking ugly. Because like they're like like just hard living because they've all been like in and out of jail and like I literally think every, almost every man is like in jail for like hard crimes and the, the story is mostly about the women that were left. And sort of like how they're just like deep into substance abuse. And one of the main characters is like a young mother who sort of like on her trip to rehab, you sort of see her like with her young son. And the young son just like just zipping around. Doing oh, he's a little shit. God, he is just injecting Coca-Cola into his veins and just, bing, 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 just like, like bouncing. Around. This is Dennis. <laughs> Fuck Dennis. Fuck Dennis. <laughs> Talking about like his, his mother's ex and he's just like, like shooting, like shooting birds. Oh, and she, uh, and, and and like that kid's dad is like, uh, the mom was like, "Yeah, I saw him cheating with one of my other, my cousin, so I just stabbed him. Stabbed him, and, and then I had my grandma wipe, wipe down the blade so they don't have any evidence, so I didn't go to jail. Yeah. I guess she had to be in the most strung out out of all of them because just the way she talked, it was just so sluggish. And I always talk like this. Yeah, and she you could tell yeah, she was about to drip off, drift off in a lot of the interviews. And probably what, I guess, what makes the documentary, like, Bali so hard between just, like, weird, fucked up, like, voyeurism and, like, kind of, like, weird, haunting, I guess, portrait of humanity is that all these people live in a desperately poor part of West Virginia that's been, like, historically taken advantage of by, like, these big mining corporations. And everybody lives there is, like, more or less in, d- deeply impoverished and sort of, like, resigned to a very harsh way of life, and which is why some of them have just a devil-may-care attitude about life, and they just, like, it, and that's why they abuse, like, drug and alcohol so much, because, like, they don't really have much in the way to look forward to in life and very little options to escape. So that part was hard to watch, and then like watching the uh, the young son talk to his mother about her rehab stint was also really heartbreaking to watch. Yeah, which is like, like at the same time you just see like weird, weird, like weird, gross titties and like everybody doing coke in a bathroom, and then all of a sudden just like you have this you know young child who's wondering why his mom's gone and why his mom's just not doing what she's supposed to. It's like she's just like tonal clash. Constantly throughout the show, and yeah. God, and, and you see a quickie wedding at a pharmacy. Yeah, because uh, like, oh my God, the the rapey woman. Yeah, I forgot about her. Yeah, because the the 
the woman who was who was cheating on the other cousins with the other cousins, man, she gets out of jail like about halfway through the documentary, and, and she hits up one of her old boo things, and they're sitting in the car, and, and she's just like. She's like, you're going to fuck me tonight. And, and he's he's just like, uh, no, uh, no. And, and she just wears him down. And then, like, literally by the end of the night, they're at a pharmacy. And they have, they got a quickie wedding. At like well, this, no, like, wait. I think they had gotten married there before because he was with somebody. Yeah. I, did, I, I thought that she was talking about that's where they got married. I, no, I, th- I thought it was they got married. I don't know. Either way, it, it was like, you can get married at a, like a podunk pharmacy? What? It also doubles as their town hall. The Justice of the Peace moonlights there. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what the fuck? But, but she buried the lead a little bit because when um, Homegirl gets out of jail, they spend all day driving around the state looking for his ass. And did they more or less kind of adopt him? Yeah. they they, they And then she's... Uh, and, and the, when they're looking for him, she's like, I'm going to kick his ass. I'm going to kick his ass. And then when they find find him, they're like, give me that dick. She's <laughs> like, let me suck that cock. And it's like, oh, fucking shit. And like, because she's like trying to force herself to kiss on him. And he's like trying to kiss him. And he's just like, no, no, stop. And then like, she like takes his clothes off. And then like, but somehow I'm sure they're, they're, they cut out parts where they're like drinking and then snorting stuff excessively. So whatever weird combination of like just wearing him down and like substance abuse kind of led to them like, well, we're back together again. I can't really explain this movie. It's so weird. Yeah. It's, uh, like I said, when I saw it originally back in 2009, it was just, I thought it was the craziest thing ever. And, you know, after us going down the Tiger King rabbit hole, I was like, hey, let's let's keep the white trash train a flowing. (laughs) We fucking rented that and, I, I guess in some sort of way, Tiger King has just got me back on documentaries again. Cause like dark side of the ring, fucking white trash whites. There's so many things on Netflix that I want to check out. I totally forgot something when shows talking about Incredibles reminded me of it. I also, as far as TV shows, watched the Watchmen TV show oh, that yeah. came out last year. Not going to spend too much on it. Definitely recommend it. Some of the best television you'll see. It's on HBO yeah. if you can have access to it. I'm excited to check that out. And I would say, like, for like our last segment, talk about whatever, what we've been doing sort of individually to entertain ourselves and, and sort of keep going. We talked about stuff we're doing, keep ourselves going, but uh, the last bit I want to talk about is, like, what have we been doing together in order to get by? Because, like, one of the biggest things for our group is that we're, like, we're very close. We, we like to go out and see each other. But, of course, quarantining kind of keeps makes that hard. So like literally just about every weekend we would have like these huge Google Hangouts with like all the extended gang and like, you know, cause like everybody in the house, you know, me, Johnson, Liz and Cannon, you sort of meet up with all other friends, you know, friends of the show, like Justin and Mac and Mel and Trey and like, you know, all the rest of our gang. And that's been a really big help just to like be able to see everybody at least on a t- computer screen and talk. That's been a, a big help to like morale. Yeah. That's been fun stuff. In fact, speaking of, um, 
uh, Mac just uh, put the the link in the Hangout chat, so I guess that one's up and running. Probably what a big thing uh, that, we, that we did this weekend was uh, we had a big blowout party for ourselves at the house, and we got uh, food from one of our favorite local restaurants, and that's Pastors. Oh God, it was so good. Oh my God, it's the best Mexican food in town. It is. Like, so if you're ever in Tuscaloosa, <clears throat> Pastors Kitchen. Yeah, we um. We decided to go with, because uh, they're, they're doing family, um, I guess just like family platters. They're having like nacho platters, taco platters, quesadilla platters, fajita platters. We uh, decided to go with the fajita platter. And I was like, well, should we go with the feed the four to six people one or the eight to ten? So we all just decided to go with the eight to ten. And we have already made like three meals out of this shit. There's still a little bit of the fucking fajita stuff left. And it is... Jonathan's not lying. It is my favorite Mexican food spot here. And they also offered a Whopper 32-ounce container of cheese dip. So, yeah, we literally got a big gulp a big, of the cheese dip. Just solid cheese. And, this, and like, Ken has been really into queso. He just had, like, just, like, need for queso. There's nothing better than Mexican food queso. Well, good Mexican food queso, yeah. I should say. Because, oh, God, there's this, there's this iguana grill that shut down. That place sucked oh anyway. God. It was so bad, and, and then it was so expensive. It was the yeah. most expensive place in town. And you're paying like, for the ambiance. Which, which was garbage. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that, that's that been really good. And we just, um, yeah, the hangouts, just, just yakking it up. Because we usually get together about, what, two hours or so each week to just, like, catch up and talk and just sort of, like, check in with everybody just about every week you kind of like add one more person to like we haven't heard from a while just to make sure they're doing okay and people come in and out and it's it's been it's been a great because we're just like we're just like doing bits and hanging out and, and like we're just like i remember last week we talked about like you know just just like weird funny stuff like we pitched like a movie we talked about like somebody started a sitcom somebody started a horror movie like uh me selling feet pics for extra cash in quarantine, <laughs> fun stuff like that, and comparing feet, like comparing people to dwarves and and diglets and moles, and like it, it's just been a great time. And then like, and also the, the, this whole uh, quarantine, we've been very well hydrated. That's that's been, that's been a good thing for morale as well. <laughs> yeah. God, I'm still hungover from last night. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, the majority of my drinking is going to happen tonight because I still have a... Oh, yeah, boy. I had... A, I thought I was going to go full swing last night, but it just didn't happen. So but so tonight, I'm gonna, I plan on making up for yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, I plan to make it for lost time yesterday. I got a little going, but not not like as much. Like, this is like technically for us, third week of quarantine or, or like whatever our state's weird, loose interpretation of quarantine is. Yeah, it, they keep releasing these new stipulations and nothing changes. Yeah, because as far as I know, this is a thing until at least the end of the month, and then they'll figure out if we're going to be still locked down. Because, God, it's hard to believe. I've been home for three weeks. I haven't been to work in three weeks. <laughs> Holy shit. I mean, granted, the first week was, you know, m- my call because we were given the option. It was like, look, we understand because, you know, I didn't want to get the chance of getting getting anybody here sick for me going out. But then, like, ultimately two weeks ago, no, a week ago, they uh, they decided my, my job is, like, full-blown shutdown until this is all over. Yeah. Um, my, my job is closed to the public, but I'm still having to go in 8 to 5 every week <laughs> or and, every uh, day. And my job, we're going back to uh, full hours next uh, next week because we've been slowly acclimating back to, uh, to regular hours, and it's just aggravating because I did not think my job would be considered, considered essential – as the as the world uh, becomes more and more harrowing, but I I guess we just make do. 
And I think because we have shows and movies and games and like good company through virtual means, it makes what we're going through a bit more palatable. It gives us a bit more of a reason to go on, even when we don't know what the next day, next few weeks, the months hold. But it's all about staying on top of things and perseverance. And whatever happens, I know we'll get each other through it. And and that doesn't mean doesn't mean saying like you know schmaltzy or try it's just it's just the truth and that's how we're gonna make it we're gonna get there eventually folks it's gonna happen it's gonna happen so. but you know how we get there stay the fuck at home stay home stay home <laughs> get stay your home. groceries and go home all right i think we had a good time and just exploring what we've been doing in the corners of our house we thank you all for listening today you can follow us online on twitter and instagram at ayc's podcast you can follow us on facebook and letterbox at all you can hear you can follow us on twitch.tv slash all you can hear and all of our twitch VODs live in perpetuity on youtube at youtube.com slash all you can hear you can follow the podcast on soundcloud apple Podcasts, google play google Podcasts, spotify overcast and any rss feed catcher we're out there be sure to like rate review subscribe on those that really helps us out get gets our information out there let us be seen by more people listen by more people and we really do appreciate that and you can follow me patrick on twitter and instagram at john lost his name and follow my art on facebook at john lost his name art uh, my name is Jonathan. You can follow me on Twitter at JohnnyBoy24. That's J-O-N-I-I-B-O-I-24. And letterbox at JohnNonson12. And I'm Cannon. As always, you can follow me at that Cannon guy on Twitter and at that Cannon guy on Letterboxd. All right. Thank you all so much. We'll be talking to you soon. Take care. Stay Bye. the fuck at home. Stay home.